Once upon a time, there was a hockey team called the Colorado Avalanche. In the first two games of the season, they scored ten goals. Ten! This year is already way more fun than last year. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. How do you like them apples, Gilmore? And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Seth Foster, locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for October 12th, 2015. That's still a little loud, isn't it? Coming up on the show, real hockey. A wild one on opening night, and the Avs mess with Texas, and we'll be writing the games down, and oh yes, there is plenty to talk about. But before we play the whoosh, a couple of unfamiliar voices will be joining me this week. First off, welcome back to Professor Oak. Been a long time. Thanks, Steph. Glad to be back. And first time, long time. Follow him on Twitter at StrictlyRandy. You know him on the site as Randy Time. What's up, Randy? Hello, Randy is terrible. That's right. Welcome aboard, and let's make with the rundown. So Colorado started the year off with a party on Thursday night, opening up a hilarious 3 to nothing lead on the visiting Minnesota Wild before choking it away to lose 5-4 on the back of a too-easy-for-Parisi hat-trick. Youch. The Avs would score twice on the power play on bombs from Jerome McGinley and Eric Johnson. Gabe Landeskog added one on a sick pass off the inboards from Fra- Francois Beauchemin, and John Mitchell put one home midway through the second. We'll be back to break that one down in a minute, obviously. And on Saturday, the Avs welcomed the Dallas Stars and went back and forth trading goals until things really blew up in the third period. Uh, familiar names on the goals list here. Nathan McKinnon gets his first on the really awkward sequence at the Dallas Blue Line that left him in all alone on Niemi. Followed by, this is not a repeat, again, Lynn Johnson on power plays. Followed by, also not a repeat, John Mitchell. Uh, hell of a snipe over Niemi's shoulder. That was... Oh, knee down. Oh, that was gorgeous. And then Landis Cogba put home not one, but two more as Colorado stood on the gas pedal and dominated the entire third. So there's a lot to digest here. They've scored ten, but they've also given up nine. So let's start in Minnesota, and whoever wants to take this one can take it. What happened? I'll step in. Okay, so I want to address this from an outsider's point of view, is if you do not like either Minnesota or Colorado, and this is your first ever hockey game to watch, this is the hockey game to watch. Yeah, you are hooked. It's this, I mean, this game had everything. If you really, it had a dominant team come out and then just fizzle. And it had that comeback. It had an NHL star score a hat trick. I mean, how many guys get a hat trick in the first game of the season? I mean, you can say all you want about Zach Parise, and I will because I can't stand him, but... <laughs> It was a great – looking back at it, it's like, holy hell, what an exciting game. And it was a phenomenal game to watch as far as the first game of the season. Absolutely. I I still remember in the last year, first two games, getting shut out back-to-back, and it just started the season off on the wrong foot. And this was at least a very, very roller coastery ride. I was pumped for hockey. I had been watching it before the game. Got to the game. I was excited. They go up quick oh my gosh, I can't even believe this happened. Um, they score on the power play multiple times. Like the second that um, McNabb and Haynes are talking about how bad it was last year, they literally said this is this was the 29th team shot goal. And it was beautiful, and everything was going well for us. And then Landy has that huge hit on Prise, and I was even more pumped. And, and then, then he everything went wrong for us. <laughs> and then everybody started shitting. 
Landy, Landy hit Parise and went, oh, shit, the taco truck's outside. Let's go. <laughs> right? And it was, it was just fun, though. And it was so heartbreaking to lose that game in that fashion on opening night to Minnesota, who I just cannot stand. Same. I don't think any Avs fan can stand them. However, it was still fun. And it was and, much more fun than last year. And well, and I think that's also the thing is after last year and with the changes that happened is we finally got a defenseman. We made that huge O'Reilly trade, which I will never say anything more about. And we had all these high expectations. It was like, especially after getting stomped on by Minnesota so much last year and coming as like, this is all we want. We just want a win to open. And then you look at it around the league as, I think one team won on home ice for opening night and it's so fluky, but you look at it and go, okay, everybody gets on that fire wah bandwagon after game one. And you're like, okay, hold your horses a little bit. Let's see if he can be better than he was. Cause everybody's already going, Oh no, he's doing this again. Holden led the team in time on ice. Holy cows. All these massive reactions to this. And that, game against Dallas, we saw something amazing that we didn't see last season. Well, let's talk about, uh, first of all, those those issues that everybody's having. We have um, just a disastrous performance from uh, from Gabe Landeskog and the rest of his line defensively. Um, a, and, a refusal to evolve. And uh, Tyson Berry with Nate Gannon as a pairing that could not defend against Parisi to save their lives. And it's one of those things is Minnesota came out of the gate rocking. It's they had those first two rough periods. Sure, where the Avs, even though it's interesting, it was very shades of uh, yesteryear before is where the Avs were getting out possessed, but were still winning. Right. And, and I'm glad it caught up to them in that game because it made them realize that you cannot rely on that. I, last season should have done that, but it, I liked it because if you're going to lose a game, that's the game I want you to lose so that you go into the next game, you play mad, and you're ready to change. We also saw, um, as the game went on and as the team's trying to protect a three-goal lead, we saw almost none of uh, Miko Rantanen, and we saw almost none of Borna Rendelitz. Um, it was they were on a line with Carl Soderberg, which did absolutely nothing. Um, very likely because it was a new member of the team with two basically rookies. One of them is a rookie. Well, and here's a here's the thing about it too. Uh, Borna impressed me not this year's training camp because I wasn't there, but the year before, and then he got injured. And I I liked what he brought, and I think he's playing a little tentative. He's being very hesitant. In his play, in the he's defensive not, zone, absolutely. Yeah, he's not he's not being imposing like he used to be in that in that one camp. I saw. I was like, there's that potential, and you just want so much out of him to be a little bit more, and he's not quite there. And I think the Avs would behoove themselves if they sent him to San Antonio. And Rantanen, on the flip side, is Soderberg's going to get a lot of grief here is because he was signed to a big contract and he did well in Boston. And it's one of those things is much like Duchesne getting the bad wingers. That's not the t- great quality is you're not giving Soderberg the s- wings to succeed either. And Rantanen though is an interesting case because he's not a Jack Eichel. He's not a Connor McDavid. 
he's coming along slowly and but not so slowly that you're concerned and i think they were sheltering him a little bit when they cut off his ice time and as Wa even said is this line wasn't getting it done so you know we went with the more experienced guys And then as we saw yeah. later, uh, Soderberg got a shift with McLeod and Mitchell, and that generated Mitchell's goal. So, Yeah. yeah it's, and well, it's interesting this season so far is Afghans have a lot to be grateful for. And it's you even saw it in game one, and it kept on in game two, is when was the last time the Avalanche had a fourth line that wasn't there to basically fight? Quite it's, some time. It's we've got it's one of those things. It's really interesting. Before the season, everybody's like, oh, Cody McLeod to the AHL. Please just bend, send him down. He's terrible. Like, well, we got our wish in cliche. Great. Now, if only they'd send Gennon. That's another that'll be down the way. But McLeod, I even wrote it down in my notes through two games. I don't hate McLeod on the ice. He's doing his job and he's doing it well. He's he's being the I hate this term sandpaper. That that line needs. He's being that though. It's where much like Mitchell's your glue guy. Mitchell as a third line center was getting overplayed. Mitchell's your what? As he's that glue guy. Okay, so yes, I know what you say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another freaking term I hate, but that's what he is. It's you don't know how to explain it, but he holds it together, and it's you put him down on that fourth line, and you've got something new for the Avalanche depth, and. Skilly has done everything but unimpressed. The guy's just been out there so far for both nights, and he's become a fan favorite. And just because the guy has motor. He's got that motor. He doesn't say die. He goes out there and he plays hard. And that's what any Avalanche fan really wants. So far, all of the of the new additions have had strong, positive impacts. And uh, last night during the game, Oak, I noticed you were going on and on about Boschman, uh, specifically making passes on to back and forth with Eric Johnson. Absolutely, he's I beyond just having someone that seems like a true top pairing defenseman, even if he's not a number one, and even if EJ isn't a number one. Also, it's nice to have that up there because I think it. It seems like it's giving EJ a lot more confidence in his game and doing what he wants, knowing that his back is completely covered if it needs to be. It gives him some of that quote-unquote veteran presence back there and some leadership um, of a player who has just logged so many minutes in the NHL and has, you know, the past few years in Anaheim just gone through so many runs in the playoffs. But those, those blue line passes where they're in the zone and he's just dishing them to EJ... They are intentional, they are crisp, they are flat on the ice, they are fast, and they are tape to tape. And they give EJ that extra half second to where he doesn't have to worry about handling the puck because it's on edge, or because it's coming to him slow. He can just receive it and fire it. And I think that's making a lot of difference in his game. And I think it's really interesting because as fans have been on the wagon of get EJ a get him a partner that's competent and ev- when they go out and get Frankie B because I can't pronounce his last name <laughs> is beach every- <laughs> right he goes everybody's like yeah we wanted you to get a guy but not one over 35 years old and well, because like, we've been well, down the road before that's what yeah, they tried to have- do when they got Brad Stewart they got the wrong guy that time 
they got the way wrong guy. But then you watch, you watch Bushman play those two games. I know I screwed it up. But you watch him play those first two games, and he's brought something that, again, outside of Eric Johnson and Tyson Berry of last year, not this year, confidence. You get confidence on the blue line. You got EJ going, okay, I know I'm not going to have to cover for this guy's lapses. So he's EJ's allowed to focus and not be the guy that's trying to do everything. Yeah. And I was I was one of those guys who was like, all right, well, maybe not this guy who's 35 plus. Um, I was absolutely. a little skeptic. I can't but even. he's in the very small sample size of the first two games. He has five assists. And he has been, you know, I can't even speak to much of his defensive play because I only ever notice him in the offensive zone. And And that's okay. People talk about Carlson for is how positive he is on defense because he's always in the offensive zone. Yeah, totally fine with that. Yeah, people say Carlson can't defend because they never see him defending because he has moved the puck forward. Exactly. Stunner. It's that old uh, line of thinking, uh, 2001 way. Well, I want my defenseman to be able to hit people as they come across a blue line. And now you're going, I want my defenseman to make a competent breakout pass. Yeah, and I know, I, I forget who published this story of a GM or a coach or something that had this really great prospect who was defensive defenseman was supposed to be able to defend anything in his zone and had this other prospect that was offensive defenseman really terrible in his own zone. But he noticed that the offensive defenseman didn't need to defend because he wasn't in his zone all that much. And that made his lapses really all right. Whereas the defensive guy was in his own a lot. And when you're in your zone, you can't store score. And, you know, that's one of those things that with Boschman, by all means, he can get it out of the zone. He helps transition into the zone. And those passes are just gorgeous. It's something we've uh, needed for a long time, considering Eric Johnson's our best defenseman since Rob Blake. (laughs) It's the avalanche defense. I went through it last night on the game day thread is who has been our revolving door of defensemen. And holy cow, they've been terrible. Yeah. It's. I mean, we've gotten away from the Shane O'Briens, the Ryan O'Burns, the Matt Hunwicks, the Greg Zanins. David Lifferton. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I thought he was going to be an NHLer, all right, and I was way wrong. But, it's, yeah. yeah, it's we've had this revolving door of not good defensemen, bad. And then you look at him and go, what is this like? I can't remember what this is like uh, to have that competence on the blue line. Matt Hunwick, by the way, is getting really big minutes with uh, Toronto Maple Leafs again. So good luck to you. You know, uh, I'll touch on this for one second here. Hunwick has the A in Toronto. Hunwick, I've always liked his personality. And I liked the person he was in the locker room, his personality. He's a great sixth or seventh defenseman. And a team like Toronto that's not trying to compete right now, put him in those minutes. You know, and if he does well great you might be able to trade him he's he's not i mean the last thing matt hunwick is going to do is hurt your tank job (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and to be honest he's probably one of the right guys to have va there you know in colorado there was just nothing 
bad could ever be said about him constantly being scratched and constantly being the seventh team man and then coming in and getting his opportunity and just being so humble about it so well spoken in his interviews everything i mean he's got after his nhl career he's got a career in coaching if he wants a career he could probably do video or audio if he wants like his options are endless and just the type of guy he is but anyway uh current avalanche (laughs) <laughs> we've we've seen uh, quite a bit of shots and then rebounds set up by uh, new addition Blake Como. Yes, can we go into game two already? Because I'm tired of game one. Yeah, fine. Game one, game one broke. Fine. Mind. Okay, game two. I wanted because I know Avalanche fans, especially me. There's going to be a little split on this. Roussel and Como. Roussel did his job by running his mouth and being a little agitator. Como did his job by making him shut up. And it was it cheap? Yeah. Was it dirty? Yeah. I've said it. It was more Corey Perry than Matt Cook. It's one of those things. If I was if I was a Stars fan, I'd be mad. I'm an Avalanche fan. I'm happy. Okay. I like his play. I didn't like that play in particular, but beyond his little jab, which was definitely sold by an acting job. Um, yes. Doesn't make it any better. But <clears throat> I I like him with Duchesne. I think they just need some more time to gel. I've made this comparison, but it seems like he does what he has the potential to do for Duchesne, what Chris Kunitz did for Crosby. Um, and that's that's not being really a true top sixer, but meshing really well and knowing where you need to be at the point of time when you're playing with him. And I think he can be that. I think he's very physical and he loves to cycle. He loves to chip and chase and retrieve pucks and get him to Duchesne. And it seems like in that sense, he can gel with him. It just needs to be a little time. It's uh, from my viewing on it is Como's been that perfect middle sixer as in a McGinn replacement. And probably a little cheaper, too. And with a lot less back issues. Yeah. it's yeah. Well, wasn't that co- what Como was in Pittsburgh? Was that middle six guy? Yeah. It's Como's done. Uh, I like his speed. Como, ha- Como, again, I've already said it before with another player, but has that never say die attitude is he wants to play. Uh, I like everything he's brought so far, really. Because the... Uh, uh, one of the presentations, I haven't had any time to watch it yet, from the RIT Hockey Analytics Conference, is definitely, there's a presentation I'm really interested in that's about um, useful possession time. Um, they, they referred to uh, the Avalanche in particular, spending a lot of time with the puck, not producing anything. Uh, Blake it's forever. Blake Como puts a stop to that, because he has the puck right at the top of the circle. That's going into, like, towards the goal immediately. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a Ginla on the other side ready to crash and put it home. It's he's a trigger man, if you want to say so. He's ready to release it. And what's the worst that's going to happen? He's going to put it towards the net. He he might get a rebound. Great. Keep it in that zone. And that's what he's been doing. Yeah. The worst that can happen is he misses and it rims around. That's about it. Exactly. Uh, And it wasn't him but uh, I've got the note here about it, was 
Holden, I was actually really impressed with on the second Landeskog goal is Holden was coming in towards the circles right in the middle there. And he reached back to keep the puck in and he made a nice little shovel pass to McKinnon. And that's what led to that goal. And I think Holden's been getting dumped on a little bit and I won't say it's undeserved, but last night he, you know what? I can't be mad at him. He did some good things. Somehow he's bad and Gennon's bad and together they're not that bad. It's, (laughs) it's a double negative. (laughs) Because when together they're facing the other teams bad as well. And that's really what you want though. Yeah, absolutely. It's you don't want. It's like great. We're gonna have Holden out there against Parise. <clears throat> great. It's like well, you put them against Holden out there against Roussel. Hey, he's not bad. Yeah, Holden's also been a lot more physical this year in the first two games that we've watched. Boy, he demolished Nichushin. Yeah. Oh, Wrecked holy it. crap. Well, I think Holden might realize, even though he's got that contract, his job might be on the line. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm sure he heard it, too. And Wa said, we're going to need all our defensemen through this season. And if you're a defenseman on the Colorado Avalanche and you hear that they want to play all eight guys, you probably want to make sure you're one of the guys that stays and isn't being revolved. The uh, the one thing that, that some of you may have missed uh, was during – during the first period, after Tyler Sagan's line just had a dominant, completely dominant shift that ended in a goal, uh, the coaching staff mixed up their matchups. Uh, what we were complaining about on the game one with the with the Gennon pairing up against the Tufts, that became Eric Johnson and Francois Beauchemin. And from that point on, uh, that was the end of that line. They did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was... Because it was after that third goal when uh, Wa mixed up the pairings, and that's when we saw Barry with Zadorov. That was also all true. Of a, all of a sudden, Barry looked like a whole new man. Yeah. He looked like the man we probably want him. He looked like AJ's favorite thing, points per 60, Barry. Yeah. It's, I think it's one of those things. AJ. Yeah, take it, AJ. Barry's one of those guys, you want him to be so good. And you want him to prove all his doubters wrong. And he hasn't really been good so far. And Zadorov, while and AJ nailed this on one of the earlier episodes, is temper your expectations about him. Hold him back just a little, and you're going to be blown away. And uh, Zadorov, that reach to break up that play along the boards, the guy just, he's doing a lot of good things. And he's done a couple bad things. You're like, eh, but he's learning. <laughs> it, it, he's Zdorov is uni- a very unique player for the Avalanche, and it's uh, if you can hold back that imaginary awesomeness for a little bit, watch the reality of what he is, and he's still going to impress you. Yeah, he's twenty years old, and it's, <laughs> which is phenomenal for a defenseman in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that I even I continually have to remind myself even being an Avs fan and a Sabres fan is that he's still just 20 years old like most D-men at this point are three years from seeing their first NHL time and he's already seen 
over 60 games. Yeah, it's most 20-year-old <clears throat> defensemen are either playing in the AHL or an overage season in their junior. Yeah. It's, uh, and that's the thing is, I'm really glad that Zadorov is an avalanche because he's a very he is that player that we've wanted for a long time and we all hope he hits his potential. Yeah. Plus he's just the silly guy. <laughs> oh my god, him in the box with Iggy. Yeah. He was loving every moment of that. Like, this is great. Isn't this great? That that was hilarious because he was tied up with some uh, really small Dallas Star forward with some crazy Finnish name that I can't remember, let alone pronounce. Oh, uh, and uh, Yoki Paka. No, it wasn't Yoki Paka. Um, I don't think. Not uh, Honka. It, it was Janmark, I think. Actually. Oh, Jan. Oh, the uh, guy who scored on twenty seconds in. Yeah. 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 Um, and Zadorov has head and shoulders on this guy, and they've got the collar of each other's jerseys. And which is hilarious. And every once in a while, Yanmark just pops up a little rabbit punch, and Zadorov just okay gives him one back. <laughs> it's it's Zador- It's us as fans have something special in him, I think. And it's he's really fun to watch. And it's that sense of humor, the lightheartedness. Is you get guys like who are serious for so long on the blue line, and it's that uh, like Thomas Hurdle that joy of just being able to play something and getting paid for it. It's he's living his dream. As long as he keeps his head on, because as we saw in the first game, if he can, he can get frustrated and take some really poor penalties. Yeah. Saw that a lot in the preseason too. <laughs> you see that with a few other avalanche players too. And it's a bad habit. Yeah, um, we we've in the past we've seen Eric Johnson do that, but he seems to have reined it in pretty well. Um, Gabe Landeskog absolutely got off his game on Thursday and oh, was yeah. just trying to run it, guys. And when he relaxes and plays hockey, my note that I've written to talk about this says Landeskog night and day because that's really what it is. Um, on on Thursday, he was basically a liability for his for his line defensively because he was taking runs at guys, getting out of position, and just leaving his assignment behind. And then Saturday, he relaxes and plays hockey and has a four-point night. Well, it's you see him play hockey uh, much like you saw in his uh, OHL highlights. Is he went back to that of what made him get drafted, and he was very, very effective on Saturday night. And it's uh, I wrote a note about him too. Just watching him play is uh, people with the the roster Bation crowd like, oh, this is the lines I'd throw out there. This and this. Gabe Landeskog is Nathan McKinnon's wiener. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's who they are. You want to find Dutchie a wiener? Great. It's not Landeskog. Maybe it's Miko. Yeah. And that's something uh, we saw was Rantanen had a little. I can't remember how many shifts he had. I know at least one later in the game with Duchesne. I don't know if it was a weird line change or what, but uh, Rantanen played very well alongside him for that brief moment. Yeah, I think it was just a weird line change or someone overshifted or undershifted themselves because Rantz had like eight minutes one game and seven minutes the other. And to me, well, that's that's doing him an injustice. And 
you know, if it's you're going to also bringing him along, I mean, you don't want to rush him at the same time. You want him to still play. There's yeah, there's, there's not rushing him, And that's like, okay, 12, 13 minutes. That's what, yeah. But it, at this point he's kind of, you know, getting, there's no use benching a kid for two periods in his first NHL game to teach him a lesson. And I, I wish I could talk to Wah and ask, like, why did you do that? I don't know if it was in any of the interviews, um, but, you know, if it's something where him and Rendelich he can't trust with a lead, cool. Send Rendelich back to San Antonio. Bring up Everberg, who you've shown to trust with a lead. Um, and get Rontz some ice time. Because playing him for a period and then benching him for the next game isn't really going to do all that much for him, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I see a few outstands even commented on this too. Is with uh, you see, we want Randon up with Duchesne. We're like, oh, this could work because it'd be the first time in a little while that Duchesne would have a winger that can pretty much keep up with him. Not where Duchesne has to hold up at a blue line and wait for Iggy to catch up. But Randon has to get there himself, and he does. I would I not want him in his own zone against the Tyler Sagans of the world. Nobody would. It's but it's that it, there's that potential that's there, and you can see it. And there's a reason he's on this roster. He, uh, I think we talked about this earlier on Twitter. Is you see guys like Duchesne and McKinnon, they were they made the league as 18 year olds not because they necessarily earned it, but because this who else is going to take it from him? And you see Rantanen come in as an 18 year old he earned every bit of making this roster a little bit like o'reilly did his 18 year old season like o'reilly earned his as well um duchene was kind of by default mckinnon mckinnon was kind of both like yeah he earned his spot but also you weren't gonna not keep him either right um and you look at it uh a guy that's not getting a lot of heat right now uh, in an avalanche sweater, uh, everybody's using their traditional whipping boys of Gennon and Holden. And while Gennon's been bad, yeah, a guy that needs to be better, and we know he can be better, is Verlamov. It's you saw it last uh, Saturday night. It's he was a. There's a couple he could have had, and he was pretty mad at himself, and rightfully so. But then you saw it later on in the about five minutes left in the second is when I noticed it. Is he started to just kind of glimmers of what he is going back to like what we know. And I don't think Varlamov got out of his preseason funk. I think he's getting back to regular season form. So I think some, like, I don't think it's caused to worry, but he wasn't what he could have been. Uh, I wouldn't disagree with that too heavily. Uh, there's a lot of excuses that can be made for him from, on Thursday, but he did come out of that with an 8.33 save percentage, which is never good enough. Um, and then Saturdays against Dallas, he put up a 9.09, which is still short of where we need him to be. So, um, yeah, it's he, I, you saw glimmers of it last night. He made some really spectacular saves. Oh yeah, it's just uh, shaking the rust off and getting back. I think we're gonna see uh, this. I think our next game is Wednesday night coming up. Is, yes. Uh, I think Varley's going to look even better. Yeah, yeah I hope so. And Me too. That Minnesota, my <laughs> <laughs> That's a that little Minnesota risky. Game was, the Minnesota game was 
tough because it just seems like every single one of those goals was a neutral or defensive zone turnover, fast break, odd man rush in which the defense just didn't play it well at all. No. And it's, it was just, you know, you gotta, you come in with the, the phrases of, well, you gotta be better and you goalie needs to be big sometimes and has to come up with big saves, but it's also, you know, when Zach Parise is in the slot with no one blocking him as Ginnon is screening you, there's only so much you can do, especially when he goes bar down. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's tough both ways. If I was Verlamov, I'm not saying I do it. I'm just saying uh, Gennon's tires may or may not be slashed one night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Something we've yet to talk about and I need to talk about Eric Johnson, 82 goal pace. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, EJ, uh, these two goals were really spectacular for me because power play goal. For one, and it's something that we all complained about EJ with his offense before. He hit shins. He's not hitting shins. That's apparently some... I I don't know where the article is or where the numbers are, and that's actually some misconception. When he does take shots, he's actually good at getting them through to the net. So it's probably one of those, you know, Jerome McGinley always starts slow every single year type of misconception. he doesn't. no. Exactly. Everyone um, believes it because everyone says it. It's kind of that situation. Yeah. However, like, what EJ really hasn't ever been his entire career was an actual goal scorer from the end. Um, I mean, he was always pegged as you know offensively gifted and minded, and he is, but in terms of actually scoring goals, he's never really been like, you know, the Eric Carlson of this is what no. EJ does. He would just get, he'd rack up some points and his expectations were points, but not specifically goals. Secondary and assists. Think, yeah. yeah. Secondary assists. It's, plays like that where he, you know, toe drags into the zone and then passes it back to someone. Until he stuff plays happen. against Edmonton and can skate around four guys and through them. <laughs> yeah. But those were two just clean shots, both of which had the presence of Matt Duchesne in front of the net. And so, although it seems like he's been struggling a little bit, he's been still doing his con- job. He's contributing, even if it's not on the score sheet. And it's the same uh, goes for Duchesne. Yeah, he's not a. I've been guilty of calling him a slow starter before, and it seems like it. But from a point production end, but you still see him out there doing a lot of little things right. And sure, that's, sure. and that's something you want to remember is because you get people like oh. It, I love HF boards for the should, should Duchesne be traded? Like, shut up. Of course <laughs> he should. You're HF boards. That's what you do. <laughs> it's, it's just like. I, I give it a week sh- before every HF boards team, ha- like every team on HF boards has a what could we trade for Connor McDavid thread. Oh, no, that happened, huh. years, that happened a year ago. Yeah. The, one, the most recent one I saw was Duchesne's not being good enough. What did the Avalanche have to add to him for Steven Stamkos' pending UFA? Jesus Christ. And I just want to be like, stop, just stop. And of course, somebody, of course, it always happens if somebody chimes in and goes, the Avalanche don't have a single player that Steven Stamkos would be traded for. Like, get over yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Just get over yourself. Okay. But it's Duchesne. uh, People might be worried about Duchesne and that he's not producing. And uh, I'm not worried. It's uh, Duchesne's going to, it's going to happen. And sooner rather than later. 
Is Duchesne the new Bozak in a second, I guess, is the question. God, I hope not, because Duchesne's a fan favorite, and a team. he loves the team, he loves it here, and the dude has done everything worthy of keeping the fans off his back. <laughs> like, he took a discount. It's he took that bridge deal when he underperformed and he was hurt. It, it's uh, Avalanche fans bother me at times because we've got to have our whipping boy. Well, and every every team has those. Well, I, I mean, you saw it with Kessel too in Toronto. Yeah, I'm of the same mindset. I'm not worried about Duchesne yet. I thought his Minnesota game was night and day. Started off pretty good and then went downhill with the rest of the Avalanche making boneheaded plays. Um, uh, that's fair. I'm the pretty. Av- I'm pretty yeah, sure he <laughs> he should have had an assist on one of the Minnesota goals. So yeah, um, you know, but overall, I'm not too worried um, about him in point production. It'll come. He's adjusting to new line mates again for like every year since he's been in the league, pretty much. Yeah, yeah well, and, and if the power play stays hot, it's only a matter of time before he connects on something. Yeah, well. Uh, <clears throat> I, even if it's a garbage goal, a goal is a goal. Yeah. And you look at it and go, I saw it with the Iggy goal against Dallas. It was a garbage goal. There was no, it wasn't skill. It was crashing the net and making it happen. And if I recall, because I have a horrible short-term memory and I want to forget last season, is garbage goals didn't really go in our favor a lot last year. And this year is the goals that aren't great, but a goal is a goal. We need those because not every goal is going to be a John Mitchell snipe. Oh, or a McKinnon, whatever McKinnon did. That was. Oh, you flipped it up and over. <laughs> oh, I watched that a couple of times just smiling. Yeah, that was, I, a, that was, that was me a, out loud in, my, in the living room. Just like, well, watching that play develop, it was my note about that is. What the hell was going on at the blue line? <laughs> <laughs> like, McKinnon's like, yeah, I put it in, and there's still three guys at the blue line going, uh, we don't know what's going on right now. It was like a botched entrance that Landy then made happen. And then it accidentally went to Tangs whom with his awesome 2020 vision found McKinnon down in the bottom of the slot beyond the two Dallas yes, stars. Just Cause that was a gorgeous pass streaking in. It was ridiculous. Well, Cause Landy's knee almost got taken out by it. I don't yeah. know who it was. Uh, it was yeah. It wasn't a Dallas star. It was somebody in an avalanche sweater. And it's just like your watch is like, great. That was a really pretty goal. But what was going on? It went from yakety sacks to gorgeous in a hurry. Oh, yeah. It was a three stooges play. Um, and but that was just another one of those moments in that game. It was just such a fun game to watch again. Uh, exactly. Just such a departure from last season because the we are actually having fun things happen already. It's amazing. Uh, well, the third period being the funnest of all, as not only did the team add three goals, um, but they actually had the puck most of the time. And they got ahead and they kept pushing and they didn't sit back. Um, It was almost like they learned something. Yeah. Well, it's like that thing I even talked about after game one is the team learning is, okay, are we going to go into game two with Wah being stubborn and insisting that these line combinations are going to work when in reality they don't. And, he changed it up and you're like, okay, you got to sit back a little and good things happened. And I think that's one thing the team uh, is learning from the disaster that was last season and the third period of the Minnesota game adapt. 
you can't play prevent defense for the entire third period and expect to get a win. Um, let's definitely take some time to look at the power play um, because it has it's obviously not going to score that many goals every game. I mean, no. we're, we're, we're not crazy here. But whoa, it's whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean our power play can't be 100%? I, I know. I know. You're going to have to accept it. Damn it. Um, but what I, it's, it's not just that it's been so much more successful, even though that's kind of the best part. Um, it's also looked worlds better than last season. It's because um, they quit looking for the pretty play, is what I noticed. Is I saw that the overpassing. As they, they were looking for that perfect shot that quality shot. And sometimes it is quantity, not quality. Well, last season we saw a lot of guys standing around on the outside, um, trying to make passes through traffic work when they just weren't going to, there's no shooting lanes because you're not moving around to create them. And eventually the puck is just like drifting back into the neutral zone. GG. Well, I forget how long did, did Tangay on the point last all season last year? Or did he find his way down into the slot? Because I know he's on the point for a little bit. I don't know. Who? Uh, Tangay. Because I can't. I wiped last season from my head, basically. <laughs> I think it's one of those things. Like even if he even if he starts on the point, they rotate downwards, and it just ends up having someone else there. I think. Oh, the of, cycle. Yeah, and so it, you know what starts as Tangay on the point turns into Aginla and Duchesne on the point, and. Just as you rotate, um, I think one of the big major difference makers right now is that a we're not using four forwards on both units, which can be positive if you have enough personnel, but can also be negative if you're using four forwards because you don't have the personnel. But that fourth forward is also not someone that should be on the power play. Jordan McLeod. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I got I think, a note about McLeod here. I think having. Your three defensemen being Boschman, Eric Johnson, and Tyson Berry makes so much of a difference in a terms of just difference. how that power play is going to go. And with, um, you know, with the Ginla, he seems to, I know he, or at least I believe he was on the point at least a little bit last year, and he's now finding himself sliding into the Stamkos of Etchkin circle on that left side just for those one timers. Um, and always being dangerous over there as well. Yeah, that that was like I, there's been two trends that I've noticed in the power play so far. The first unit tries to set up Biggie in the Obi spot, and the second, that the one second, timer. yeah, and the the second unit wants to get Eric Johnson from the high slot. Yeah. Question: uh, When Iggy's in the slot on the power play right there, uh, does his stick ever touch the ice? Because <laughs> <laughs> I just see him waiting. Like, come on. Uh, I want to, before I forget, uh, Cody McLeod's fight. It was one of those things where I don't care for fighting, but it's one of those things is I went with it and I want to know your guys' thoughts on this. Cause Bushman said McLeod fighting helped that it gave them whatever it is, that mysterious force. Do you believe it? Uh, players are always going to say that. Uh, there'll there'll be that same fight, and then no momentum will come of it, and no one will talk about it because it's not a quote unquote turning point in the game. Um, I I, just, I think that's something the players are always gonna say. Um, but as someone who's also kind of like fighting, man, come on, uh, I, 
that was a fight that Roussel earned every bit of, and mm. Cody definitely won that fight. Which is, I mean, that's the first we've seen Cody dominantly win a fight, I think, in... Three years. Uh, a year? Yeah. <laughs> Ever, maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Well, since he earned a contract. It's usually grappling matches. Yeah, I'm let's a... hug it out. Which, it's, I mean, as much as I don't care for fighting, I guess it's still better than having David Kochi. And it's better than Roussel just, like, casually cross-checking a crumpled-up skilly in the back of the head uh-huh. four times. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that game, uh, as much as I wanted to, I will hate game one for how much it broke my heart because we had we i thought we were winning that's plain and simple i thought this was a win and game two had the adrenaline rush of holy crap can they do it and they pulled it off and i felt that even because even if i'm understanding this new chart correctly for the possession metrics is abs were still out possessed last night Uh, oh yeah um uh, over the course of the game, they were, yeah, because they got owned um, in the first, and they got owned at the beginning of the second as well. Yeah, that that yeah. a couple of really miserable shifts that inflated that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, they they were they stayed they seemed to stay pretty even overall. Um, just there a couple of this, those big spikes here and there, and then the, the third they outpossessed. It was like fifty six percent. Yeah, even yeah. when they were in the lead by multiple goals, and they and that's still had. That's the pedal to the metal. Yeah, that's what's so encouraging about that win. Absolutely. Well, it's, I've uh, my hands. Oh, I got a new, uh, or whatever that uh, money phrase is, is uh, comeback narrative. I don't know. I like to shout that one a lot. It's they had the killer instinct that we didn't see in Minnesota where they just kept their foot on their throats. They didn't do it. Dallas, they fought back and they said, not again. Right. And it, that's something that's really that's different from last year because you see them get down in the lead and they just kind of I don't want to say they gave up because I refuse to believe that athletes just kind of give up. But they lost hope a lot last year. It felt like that they didn't believe in themselves, that they, they could do it. And this year you're looking at it and going, wow, these guys actually have it in them. Yeah. Now, small sample size. With, with the fight, I'm with Steve. I the numbers say that it really didn't have much of an impact. They they scored four minutes later and then gave up a goal like a minute after that and gave up another goal the next period and really didn't start to rally until way after the fight had been over and both players were back on the ice. Yeah, I, oh, I I'm think, with you guys. It, it was a fight that I think Roussel earned, but I don't think it changed a damn thing. Yeah, it was kind of, although even as much as I don't like fighting in the sport and all of that, nice to see Cody actually win one. Yeah, it's victories. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, good for you. You, you've lost a lot of fights over the years. At least you get one of them against a general douchebag. Yeah, I mean, that, that's right. the kind of fight that I don't think we're gonna mind too much, even okay. if he'd lost it. The, well, and it's even well. God, didn't Cleesh get in a fight last year? I think so. I think we laughed for weeks. <clears throat> yeah, it's, and that's the thing though is. I hate when a team resorts to like, well, we can fight you and beat you in your faces. And another, the other team goes, yeah, well, we can put more pucks in your net. <laughs> well, in, initially the fight kind of discouraged me because in game one, we saw that fourth line dominate. And yes. maybe dominate isn't the word for it, but no, be, it's the right a, word. be effective at the very least. And, you know, a lot of 
I actually had this conversation this morning or last night on Mile High Hockey about McLeod, but he's not a bad player when he plays how he should. It's that he's kind of been in the mindset of he needs to fight to keep his NHL job, and that's a bigger systemic issue. But when he doesn't, and you put him with Cleish and Bordy, there's not much he can do. When, no. when you put him with players like Jack Skilly, who... Jack, I keep thinking this is Jan Hada Skilly streaking <laughs> down the itis. Not Hada. <laughs> Jack, not Hada. Yeah, it's not Hada. Um, I keep thinking Hada just like increased his speed and got much smaller. Um, but when you put him with players that can actually play hockey in Skilly and Mitchell, like he can do stuff, and he's not that bad of a player. Well, he's it's that just guy he needs to can... not be an idiot. Yeah, he doesn't. The, was it that dumb penalty? Is like, oh, here's my shocked face. <laughs> hey, two, yeah. yeah, here's the Cody, to two minutes for being Cody McLeod penalty. Yeah, but it's, you look at him and go, okay, on the fourth line where he can be because Cody McLeod, I've kind of bagged on because he's not an offensive player. But if you put him with other competent line mates, i.e., Jack Scully and John Mitchell, it's he's pretty good defensively. Uh, and I think you saw that uh, somebody else brought it up to me is with he learned it from McClement is I think he gleaned some of that knowledge mm. and the uh, cloud's been competent defensively. He's not a liability on the ice like certain people that got sent out to San Antonio. It's and then you put him in the offensive zone. It's like eh, I'd rather not the fourth line be in the offensive zone or getting the ozone starts, I should say. But when they put themselves there and McLeod's like, I'm going to park my ass in front of the goalie. I'm okay with that. I like that. Yeah. McLeod's a strong four checker. And that's what we've been seeing the last couple of games. I mean, when, when you look at Mitchell's goal from Saturday from the Dallas game, what you see is Cody McLeod win a battle on the boards against two stars players by passing it between his legs backwards directly to Jack Skilly, who's there waiting for it and hits John Mitchell. It, God, that was so pretty, too, because yeah. my note for that is John Mitchell goal, Snipe City, entire fourth line is good. I don't hate McLeod. So <laughs> when he goes out and he plays, you know, hard hockey, he's being successful. When he's running around and trying to be an idiot with guys is when he starts being, you know, bad Cody. It's that line from Goon. You're a goon. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, the fourth line is something that's, Avalanche team hasn't had in a long while, and it's given us a lot of uh, fan favorites out of it. In that regard, is you get John Mitchell scoring, you get Cody McLeod winning a fight that had to happen. I guess it it's one of those things where you it endears you to the fans that are there just to have a good time. Yeah, that, and I think that, that want a burrito and to drink a beer. That's those that, fans. That kind of goes into like my theme of this season ish in that. A, I'm just glad hockey's back. It's yeah. a long summer. But B, like, regardless of how this year goes, regardless of regression or making the playoffs or any of it, it's going to be fun because this is a team that I 100% like every single player on it. And in the past, that hasn't been entirely true. But when, you know, I see Cody McLeod actually playing hockey now instead of being, you know, a bonehead. And I we have players like Rontanen who got someone else sent down to the A or to uh, San Antonio because he fought hard for a spot or Skilly who earned a contract off of a PTO. 
and just all of these really humble guys who just want to be in Colorado and want to play here. It has me want to watch them and just be happy with them either way. Well, it's crazy. If you would have told me a year ago that Jack Skilly would earn a job off of a professional tryout and Curtis Glenn Cross wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed you. Curtis Glenn Cross wouldn't twice. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And you look and go, Skilly got hurt. And we all kind of had that feeling that he's probably got a contract. And Glenn Cross came on. Yeah, he didn't really get to practice with the team much, but he also didn't look like he was really – he looked very apathetic about it. It's He could leave it or take it, you know. And He may have taken it for granted because he knew that the team had been interested in him before he signed on with Toronto. Very well. And it's just one of those things is you look and go, man – You've got guys that are going on. When was the last time the Avs had a PTO for guys that legit wanted to play here and straight up fought and earned it? Yeah. It's really nice to see because people always talk about markets like, oh, these aren't UFA destinations. They won't want to go there. And you get guys that go, oh, yeah, let's go to Colorado. Look at the core they're bringing up. Look at what they've been doing. Like people, you get players that legitimately believe in the team, and that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and I I was talking to AJ about this at some point or another. Another I don't even know when, but it it also speaks to management and even why evolving as a coach and management evolving as management management is that they they traded for a guy at the um, end of the year before free agency to try and sign him before anybody else could. They've signed guys to PTOs. They've gone through different routes of acquiring assets that they really haven't in the past. They, they traded Elliot for Gormley and Gormley's now with the big club. They actually continued that asset management rather than just letting Elliot walk or, um, just kind of qualifying him again to have him sit in the AHL where you're never going to use him anyways. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's it's really great. And, you know, even seeing Waugh evolving as a coach, he actually made that adjustment against Dallas to put Barry with um, Zadarov and matched different lines to the Sagan line. And magically it worked. Um, and I even think with the – personally, I think he's made an adjustment with the penalty kill in playing – I think McKinnon and Landy were out, right? right yeah. yeah. McKinnon the, defensively, my God. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, that first PK, Eric Johnson played two minutes. <laughs> Look at the shift chart. It's just a big old bar. Wow. It's Well, because he's that guy that you can rely on. It's a defenseman we haven't had in so long that can just, yeah, I'm going to eat those minutes. It's early in the season. It's cool. And it's really easy to be out there for two minutes when Landy and Mac are just kind of doing their thing down low. Right. And it, that's one thing I like versus you see, would see guys, fourth liners and third line checkers take the PK away from our top players. It's like, well, what about the offensive chances? I want guys that are going to be able to also possibly drive it the other way and maybe score on a shorthanded opportunity. And, and that's, Andy Mack do that. I like that having Mitchell and Skilly on the penalty kill for that exact reason, because they, I mean, they're not going to light the world on fire, but they both are capable of chance. putting a puck in as we saw. Sure. I mean, Mitchell's yeah. got two goals this season. He's, yeah, he's while capable. Being, while being defensively responsible and not yeah. 
overshooting their chances. Yeah, the penalty kill has been strong. The power play has been unsustainably strong, but the process is much improved there. The, spe- yeah, the special the teams in right. general is just looking better. Uh, yeah, and that's what you want is how ineffective the power play was last year. I mean, when the power play comes crashing down, it will. We're not going to be this good all season, but the what you said is a process. It's still important. It's going to still be effective, and they're learning how to change, and saying, "Okay, we need to adapt it this way," and that's so. When it does stop working, are, I hope they can change it and it works again. We are very close to out of time, but I do want to indulge a question. I've been I've been trying to get. Professor Oak on the show since the season started because when the Avs traded Elliot for Gormley, he was excited for Brandon Gormley. So I'm going to finally get to ask you, why are you so excited about Brandon Gormley? He was like many of my random prospect crushes, if you may. Um, One of the prospects that I started watching a little bit of because of playing the NHL video game series it's like, oh, I see this random player in this game. I'm going to draft him. Oh, I like him. Now I'm going to watch him in real life. Um, and in junior, he was just awesome. He had so much potential to be just that number one, number two D-man. Shut down with a little bit of offensive skill mixed in there. Smooth skating. And it just seemed like he got to Arizona and just hit a wall. And as many prospects do when not done, you know, when not raised in a system that suits them well, um, I think that's another thing that management has kind of evolved in, in that they're kind of trying to buy when everybody's value is low. You see that with Grigorenko, you see that with Gormley, two very, very highly touted prospects at one time are now busts per se. You even saw that way back when, when they went out and got Eric Johnson, um, Buying well, low, think, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, buying low and trying to convert that with small assets and making them into bigger ones. Um, but in terms of the player, I just it's hard to put kind of my finger on it, but I just really liked how he played. I felt like he brought a really complete game. Um, and I think that's something rare for a defenseman with decent size, but he's not a monster to bring. It's my question for you then on that of that regard is when do you think he makes his debut as a Colorado Avalanche? I don't know. That's one of the frustrating things that Wall has had for me with you went out and you got all these assets and only like a third of them are playing. Um, so, you know, you went out and you got Grigorenko, you went out and got Gormley, and now they're both scratched. Um, you know, both players are probably like, oh, I'm really glad the Avs went out and got me and I'm really glad I made the team. And now I'm eating nachos, um, especially when I think there's lesser players playing right now. Born um, That leads yeah. very nicely into my next question, which takes us into next week, which is what lineup changes do you guys want to make? So let's you can answer both questions. I want I want Ginnon and Holden out and Stewart and Gormley in. I, I personally would, and I haven't seen him this year, but I think Stewart is not too terrible in that third pairing role, much like um, Holden and Ginnon aren't too terrible in that third pairing role. But I think you put him with Gormley, someone with a little more offensive upside and Stewart will just sit back and do his thing and say, you go Gorms, you do it. Um, And I'd also like to see Borna out for Griggs and, or give Griggs some time with Duchesne um, 
to try and you know see if someone else will gel well with Duchy. Um, I can't disagree with any of that. Uh, my well, my only addition is there's. I want to see a fight for a roster spot here because uh, I don't think it's Rendelich's right now. I don't think he's earned it. I think he belongs in the AHL for a little bit at least. Uh, I want to see either Everberg or Grigorenko take that third-line spot with Soderberg. I want to uh, see Grigorenko personally. I wouldn't give him up with Duchesne, but I want to see him in for 71. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And the big thing is uh, while – a lot of us are going to look at the imaginary imaginary awesomeness of uh, Miko Rantanen and playing him with Duchesne. While I won't be against it, I want to see him earn it. Don't gift it to him. You don't have to. You don't have to force him into that role. Uh, much like Duchesne had Darcy fucking Tucker as a line mate. <laughs> God, it's uh, Greg, uh, Rantanen has far better line mates. I think with Soderberg. I think uh, they're going to. I think there is a good possibility they get their chemistry together, uh, give them some practices, let them work together. I think we're going to see uh, what Wah has basically been preaching here. Instead of a top six and a bottom six, we're going to see a top nine with a really fucking effective fourth line. That's that's how cup winning forward rosters are constructed. So yeah, yeah. And uh, the big change on defense I want to see is I want to see Zadorov with Barry. That's I think that's his spot. I don't I think he's wasted with uh, having Holden as a partner or anybody else. And I think Gennon's a waste with Barry. It's Gennon. They want Gennon to be that 2001 prototypical uh, physical shutdown defenseman. Great. Uh, that's not needed in this day and age, and he's not that good at it anyway. Um, get, you know, I'm fine with Gennon being a sixth or seventh D-man, to be honest. Uh, but I would rather have Brad Stewart over him as much as it pains me to say it. I would agree with that entirely because... We have seen Gennon's foot speed is even worse than I remember. Yeah. Well, this brings me, I don't care if you close it after this, whatever. The interview with Gennon before game one is he said he likes playing with Tyson Berry because he feels that he's not a liability defensively. And that made me laugh so damn hard because of they're both not great defensively. <laughs> It's like, I want to hear Barry's flip side to that. Like, no, Gennon, he sucks. <laughs> One lineup change I also want to want to see before October 29th and October 30th is I want to see Barra have a game before the first back-to-back. Ditto. Don't want to I be think, cold for that, I agree. I... That's one thing that I'm very curious to see if Wa is more comfortable with because he kept Barra up this time with a very... Because Pickard didn't take it from Barra, that's why. Yeah, yeah, he didn't, but he had the chance to send Barra down and leave Pickard up. And he sent Pickard back down, which I think is the fine call. Give him more uh, games the right down call. there. Yeah. It's, you're going to see people go, oh, Pickard, why isn't he up? You know what I want Pickard doing? I want Pickard playing a shit ton of minutes like he was for the Seattle Thunderbirds. Yeah. I don't want him to be – you know what? Don't shelter him. Don't give him – Pickard's one of those goalies, uh, from what I notice, is he needs playing time. You can't throw him in this uh, – play a game here, play a game there. You can't pepper it in there. He needs – he's a workhorse kind of goalie. He's not yeah. as flashy as some. He's uh, – I said it a couple years ago, and I stand by it. Is Pickard as a Jigare. He's good positionally. He's going to make an occasional flashy save, but he's a workhorse. Just let him work in, down in San Antonio. 
let let San Antonio be the best AHL team that Avalanche have ever had, and that's what they're doing. Yep. So I'd say give Barra either the Kings on Sunday or in a week and a half the Hurricanes. Hurricanes confidence building. Hurricanes are terrible. Hurricanes aren't that terrible. Uh, they're terrible. Hurricanes aren't that terrible, but you look at them and <laughs> they're not good either. So it's let Barra, uh, Barra's one of those goalies I think needs confidence, especially in the situation he's in right now. And after last season is where a third string goalie got called up and Barra was still backing him up. It's Barra's one of those really likable guys. Let Barra play against a weaker team. Let him face a lesser competition. Let him feel. Let him get loose about it. Right now, LA is zero and two. They've only scored two goals. That's who I'd give them to. Uh, LA is kind of the kryptonite for the Avalanche. You know that. Yeah, they play the opposite. They play. They and Minnesota both play a playing style that kind of sucks for us. L- LA are the water type to the Colorado's fire type. <laughs> but, yes. Well done. And don't put him against Dustin Brown. He might knee him or headbutt him. <laughs> uh, fuck that guy. Uh, no, you know what? L.A., they made their bed, they lie in it. Because every now and then when I want to smile inside, I look at the Dustin Brown contract and his point production. Oh, you're like me with the Steve Ott deal. Yes, just like that. Christ. <laughs> so... As we've been looking ahead, let's look at the next couple of weeks for the Avs because games are a little sparse to start the year. Uh, Colorado have three days off now before taking on the Boston Bruins at home on Wednesday. Uh, That's a late start. I don't know why. Then they travel to California to play Anaheim on Friday and L.A. on Sunday. And after the Avs return home for another late game with Carolina on Wednesday and then Columbus on Saturday. That one's not a late game, but I don't know what's up with the two. Like, are, are Boston and Carolina on national or something because those are eight o'clock local starts they say on the schedule they say straight up altitude yeah huh so weird uh the game out of the coming games uh before the end of the next couple weeks here which teams are you afraid of anaheim anaheim's the only one did you mention the blue jackets yeah, uh, Blue Jackets are my sleeper pick there. I think uh, Blue Jackets and Avs have kind of had a history of playing. The Jackets have a history of playing well against the Avs. And uh, I think that's going to be a really fun game to be at, too. Yeah, Bruins I'm not afraid of at all. Um, no. Fantasy no. update, Brad Marchand is now out with a concussion. So, Which Did he, you see how? <laughs> he apparently got it by skating into an elbow. He, oh, it's naturally. because he tried he tried to go high on a Canadian. I don't know who it was, but Brad Marchand tried to go high, and he even tried to lift his elbow up on it, but he elbowed himself in the face with the other guy's elbow. <laughs> it was a hockey version of a Dutch rudder. That's <laughs> the most Brad Marchand thing that he could ever do. Right. Um, yeah, I'm not afraid of the Bruins. The Ducks, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> the Ducks and are going to be... Uh, I'm not afraid of the Kings at all. No, yeah, I, I'm not afraid of the Kings. Their roster, it's their play style. Yeah, um, the, the one here that I'm interested up in on the schedule here, as October ends, we have that Friday game against the Hurricanes, and then that Sunday on the first, we have an afternoon game against San Jose. 
even more the reason for Red Obera to at least play that Friday against the Hurricanes. Yep. Because that's really only a day and a half rest. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a great opening week. I think the Avs have a good opportunity here to come away with a, I'm going to say, five wins. Now, usually we make our predictions on the coming week. So you've got two games, and you're going to call five wins. Yeah, he gets five wins oh, in two games. Oh, you're talking about – I'm looking for the end of the month. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we, when we make our end-of-the-show predictions, we have traditionally gone for the following week. So that's Boston mm. and uh, Anaheim. And then by the time the next episode is released, the Sunday, the L.A. game will not have happened yet. So out of the next three games – yeah, out of Boston, Anaheim, and L.A. Because by the time most people hear it, L.A. game will have been played. So, oh, yeah. Three games. Um, how many points? Regulation win against Boston. Overtime win against uh, L.A. And regulation loss against Anaheim. So three points for you? I'm going to go... Um, we're going to go five points. Beat the Bruins, beat the Kings, lose to the Ducks in overtime. Nice. And I'm going to say four points, and I'm not going to explain how. <laughs> That's for you to find out. No spoilers. All three of them come against Boston. That's how this works, right? Yeah. Here you go. They're, they're going to beat Boston by so much that <laughs> Batman just says, "You know what? Here's an extra Batman point. <laughs> you earned for this." You. No, 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 no. It, it's from the. Uh, I I understand the Bruins. New general manager is absolutely terrible, so he's going to try and trade us a point, right? <laughs> <laughs> For a conditional seventh round pick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can we get a Dougie Hamilton sweater too? Yeah, a, a, a rookie year Dougie Hamilton sweater, please. Please. Uh, I mean. Seriously, Boston's general manager is terrible, and Jim Benning in Vancouver is no better. Yeah, uh, we can get to that when, when Vancouver are, are relevant, so maybe someday. <laughs> 2047 is my prediction. <laughs> when I, they've relocated to Quebec. I wish I had the list in front of me of rookies that have scored a goal before Connor McDavid. <laughs> it's, oh getting long, it's getting lengthy. Oh. It is getting lengthy, and my favorite thing is the Connor McDavid is on a zero-point pace, and that's not good enough for his team. <laughs> well, I think uh, Edmonton fans are—I don't—I won't say the realistic Edmonton fans, so I don't want to overgeneralize. I think you see some of the casual Edmonton fans start to—that got on the Connor McDavid train go, holy hell, our goaltending and defense really isn't good enough right now. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't that, think that'll surprise most of them. It shouldn't. Uh, but I think Edmonton's a good team on the rise, and uh, changing out the good old boy club was a pretty big thing. I don't think they're going anywhere with Cam Talbot. Nope. No, nope. Uh, me either. He's just another Devin Dubnik. Nope, he's not as good as Dubnik. He's not even yeah. as good as... He's not, I don't even think he's as good as Jonathan Bernier. <laughs> Jonathan Bernier. What is up? That fucking team has given up a goal on their first shot against every <laughs> game. in a row. What the hell? What yeah. is happening? And I'm you, loving it. And you, sir, Mr. House, 
in your stupid comment in the game day thread. We just had to do it too. Yeah, I apologize for that one. Uh, either way, I think uh, this season could be what Avalanche fans have really been hoping for. Is of not necessarily a playoff Stanley Cup season, but right below that, a fun one. Yeah, and it's and it's making slow incremental improvements and doing it the right way. Yep. That's that's what we need. We don't need to have another uh, mysterious hundred point season first round flame out. That's not. That's or fun. We, it's fun to watch. It's fun as hell to watch, but it's not gonna we, build your franchise. Where we rely on the goaltending of one Craig Anderson in San Jose scoring on themselves, and we still can't win. Score it on my own net. <laughs> I lo- I watched that again the other day, and it's still funny and relevant mm-hmm. because you know why. Eric Johnson scored on his own net. Yeah, he's done it a bunch. Mm-hmm. But he's we love him in stars. Especially in his, in his Blues uniform, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but uh, this Avalanche team, it's a good one. I think uh, somebody put it best is we've seen what the Avalanche can be at their best, and we've seen what the Avalanche can be at their worst, and they're both scary. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who said that. I'm pretty sure it was on Twitter. And I wish I could remember to give you credit, but thank you for that, because it was very accurate. Well, as the coming week starts, we will see um, whether we get the best or the worst um, from night to night. It could be one on Wednesday and the next, and then the other on, on Saturday from day to day. Who knows? Yeah, it, I think this team's one of those teams that's uh, good luck predicting is it's, you're going to have to take it game by game. Yeah, it's you, you got to look at long-term trends here because one game they're, they're going to win nine one and then they're going to lose one nine. It's going to happen against Calgary on Valentine's Day, right? The, both will be against Calgary. Well, no, the, let's see. Last year it was against Florida on my birthday that we lost in a overtime, and that made me sad. And this year we play Carolina on my birthday, so a team we should win and we'll probably won't win. So we'll I'm, not going to, I'm not going to go to a game on my birthday this year. There is no definite schedule win in the National Hockey League. No. So, pretty sparse week coming up. Game Wednesday, game Friday. You'll hear from us. Um, from We'll be recording before the game on Sunday because there is no way that we're recording a podcast after a 7 o'clock Pacific start. Because, oh, no. Pe- people have to work. Because people have to work. I have to work. I'm sure that other people have to work too. But... Um, thanks, as always, for tuning in. You can catch the show on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast. You can catch the show on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast. You can catch the show on iTunes, rate and review and subscribe so that as soon as our words are ready for your ear holes, your computer or your phone have got it. And I'm sorry for being terrible. You were not terrible, goddammit. No, Randy is terrible. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what RIT is, isn't it? That's what RIT is. So, Radius Terrible Analytics. Stick to the dirty areas, and we'll see you guys in a week. This is my podcast cherry being broken. Nice. You've never been on a show before, huh? Well, I mean, I've been made fun of on a show, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty pretty sure. sure.